Hello and welcome to the Kick in the Creatives podcast, hosted by myself, Sandra Busby, and my fellow creative, Tara Roskell, offering you interviews, inspiration, motivation, and a gentle prod in the right direction. And for lots more information, challenges, and other useful tools to help you get creating, you can go to www.kickinthecreatives.com. And of course, this is where you can also find today's show notes. Enjoy the show. Carrie Waller is a realism watercolour artist. Her work is influenced by her travels around the world and as a result, they're vibrant, bold and full of colour. Carrie has won more awards than I can count and her work has been published in multiple art magazines. She's a signature member of the American Watercolour Society, Louisiana Watercolour Society and Mid-Southern Watercolourist. In fact, I think if she used all of those letters, I reckon it would take her longer to sign a painting than actually paint it. I met Carrie online probably more than 10 years ago and I've always loved her work. But also she's just such a lovely person too and it was a real treat to finally get to talk to her properly rather than via a keyboard. So get yourself a cuppa and listen on. You're going to love this interview. We are so chuffed to have you on. Um, we were just saying before we pressed record that we've known each other sort of online for years. Um, quite, I think must be about 10, 12 years, something like that. So it's really, really lovely to actually, you know, get to chat. I was going to say face to face, but mic to mic at least. <laughs> so the first thing we'd love to know is um, when did you first realise your interest in creating art? When did you first sort of think, oh, you know, I'm going to start to paint? I think... The first time I realized I might have a talent in that area was when I was in, I was about eight years old and uh, my teach, my art teacher in school entered a collage um, that we had done an art class into the Texas State Rodeo. I don't know. Do you know what a rodeo is? <laughs> yeah. oh, I lived in Texas actually oh, okay. for a couple of years. So yeah. Is so, that where, you, where you're on a horse? Yeah. <laughs> like a bucking bronco kind of thing. <laughs> Exactly. So they must they had they must have had an art like a lot of state fairs will have like an art contest or something. And so she entered my collage and I won a blue ribbon. And so that was my first time I thought, oh, maybe I you know I'm good at this. Cause so um, after that, it just was kind of a natural. I was always interested in it, and um, and so I was always the one in school, you know, voted most you know best artist in high school and all that kind of stuff. So. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I did it pretty much my whole school, you know, high school, junior high, high school, and then I decided in college to um, go into graphic design first and um, switched majors and actually graduated with a degree in interior design. Um, So I didn't go to formal art school, but um, always had an interest in design, you know, some creative field. Can I just ask you about the interior design? So, So what sort of thing were you doing with that? Uh, now I'm not doing anything with it. <laughs> no, no, I mean, I mean, when you were learning it, so were you were you learning how to make, put rooms together or were you, were you creating the actual, like, designs that went on things? Or? So it, it actually was the best degree, I think, for a fine artist um, to get because they teach you um, – all of the drafting skills, you, I actually took, you pretty much, I, my, my degree in my school, we were accredited and we were actually um, a bachelor of science and we went to the architecture school. So I had the same classes that all the architects had aside from some of their, you know, structural design and those uh, math and engineering classes. So we broke off then. So we literally learned how to do everything on the inside of the building. And we had to learn some of the exterior. We kind of learned it all. But what it taught me was drafting, color theory, and I had industrial design classes. That's the first time I ever had to stand in front of people and defend my design. And so it taught me so much about the creative process. And um, I remember like a light bulb moment when I actually you know, kind of had a concept and it came to fruition into a design. And so all of those things I think were the most instrumental. I did go to, I started in graphic design and you had to take all of the core uh, 
arts classes, you know, sculpture, drawing, painting. <clears throat> so you took all those classes, but you didn't learn very many techniques. Um, you know, they kind of put you in there and said, okay, draw for five hours a day, which is great, but no one was teaching you techniques. So in interior design, I learned you know, perspective and draft, you know, all those drafting, you know, how drawing to scale and just really technical drawing skills. So, um, Carrie, I remember when I very first discovered you, it was through a blog that you had at the time. I don't think you still blog anymore. Am I right? No, I haven't no, blogged no. in a while. They've kind of gone, haven't they, blogs now? They're not, <laughs> like, nobody uses them anymore. But I remember, <laughs> I remember back then, I think, um, did I hear you say once that you actually created your blog because you'd watched a film, Julie and Julia? Because I'm sure I've heard that somewhere and I seem to remember that I'd never seen the film and I remember watching it after you spoke about it. Is that why you, you started your blog? That is why I started my blog. So I, in that, I, well, I am right then, yeah. <laughs> in that book, I read the book and watched the movie and in that, the um, author of the book, she's the main character in the movie and she starts a blog where she blogs her way through Julia Child's cookbook. And, you know, it's an entire journey because I, t- I don't remember how many recipes, but the art of cooking, it's a huge cookbook. So it was a very long process that she blogs about that whole journey. And it really inspired me when I saw that. I thought I should blog about something, you know, something like that. And I hadn't painted in a long time. So that was it wasn't the first thing that popped in my mind is like, Oh, I should blog about painting. It was more like, what would I blog about? Oh, wait, I used to paint. (laughs) So (laughs) it really got me back into fine arts and painting. How long had you had a break for from painting to that time when you started again? Well, I kind of, so when I finished my degree, when we got, when I got married and I got married, I met my husband, my senior year of college and we got married, um, within three months. So it was very fast. So I had a job lined up with an entire, with an architecture firm in Chicago that I was hired at. And I had a, like a fork in the road. (laughs) Do I follow love or career? (laughs) And so (laughs) I followed love and he, um, was commissioning into the air force. And so his first assignment that he received was to go to Germany So I literally could not use my degree there because of the language barrier and um, some other issues as far as living in a foreign country. And um, so I had to decide what I was going to do. And I had just, you know, I was excited about my career, you know, and the design. So I had to kind of reinvent myself. And so I told myself that I would always do something creative um, when we got married. Like, you know, I wouldn't ever just take a job to take a job. It would always be creative. So I stuck to that. And so when we were living in Germany, I started teaching classes in art. And that's actually when I started teaching, learning watercolor. I taught myself watercolor because I wanted to make money teaching classes in watercolors. <laughs> so I picked up every library book that they had on watercolor, and I went home, and I painted some paintings, and I took my portfolio back to, um, it was called Skills Development Center, and he showed him my portfolio, and he hired me to teach watercolor classes. So that is how I started my journey in watercolor. And so how long did that take just to learn the watercolor? I'm still learning. I don't know that I'll ever have learned it all. But um, I I learned, you know, because I had a a really good background in technical drawing and all of that. So now it was just applying the paint to it. And so I and I stuck with watercolor because I didn't want I didn't want to have anything that would deter me from painting because I didn't want to have to come home and change my clothes or feel like I had to put an apron on or a special place to have the paint because you have, you know, there's chemicals and, you know, different things with oils that I just didn't want to deal with because we had pets and we had, you know, so I did watercolor because it's very easy. You pick it up and you paint and you can leave it out and it's not, you know, a danger. So um, that's why I started. And I was always intrigued with watercolor and paper. You know, I love just the the feel of the paper. So that's why I started with it. And then um, I did that for three years there. I taught classes. I taught homeschool kids. I I even went on to do a program for the Boys and Girls Club of America. I did all of the art programs for them. And I also was contracted by the Air Force to paint murals. Um, So for a year while we were in Germany, I painted murals for the Air Force. 
And um, so when we left from Germany, I actually went into business with a lady when we moved to Charleston, South Carolina, and we started painting murals and doing faux finishing of murals for clients in South Carolina. So I wasn't in watercolor, but I was still in a creative field. And I kind of felt like it was a little bit of interior design as well, because you're designing, you know, the whole room basically around these murals. So that is what I did when we lived there. And then we had children about five years. We were married for about five years when we had our first son. And um, at that time, my mom had relocated there and I started, she opened up a frame shop, like an art framing shop. And so I started working with her because I could take my oldest son, Stephen, he could go to work with me. And we, and we framed art and I learned all about framing and um, everything that goes into that. And so when we moved from there, I had my youngest son, Sam, he's 12 now. And um, I didn't paint for a little bit. We The next location we moved to, we were only there for 18 months. And I had a toddler and a baby. So <laughs> I didn't paint. I didn't really do much besides a toddler and a baby while we were there for 18 months. <laughs> and then we moved to Alabama. And that's when I met you, Sandra. And that's when I started my blog. And that was when my husband deployed so he he had a long deployment. It was the first one after um, we had kids. So uh, it, I was at home with a two-year-old and a baby, and I really thought I was going to lose my mind if I didn't have some kind of outlet um, because you're talking to a toddler all day and you're worried about your husband because he's in a dangerous location. And so I needed an outlet. And that's when I had I saw the movie, Julie and Julia, and then that's when I started painting again. And so when I started my blog, it was a painting a week. And um, I blogged about my doing a painting a week, basically. is, is um, And that's kind of when I started that. And then I, I went to my first workshop that year, um, and that's when I found out, I was very naive, I had no idea, I found out that people actually had professional careers and taught workshops and, you know, sold paintings. And I also found out that there were watercolor societies in all different states. And um, so I was really introduced to the whole world at that time. So you mentioned you had these young kids, but you were getting this painting done a week. So how were you fitting that in around the kids? Well, they, I was just looking through pictures the other day and there was a picture of Sam. I'm holding him on my lap and I'm painting. (laughs) And and I'm also a night owl. And, um, so I would kind of, I would paint a lot when they were asleep. Um, and they've always, I have always had my paintings out and they have never, they've learned from the early on not to touch anything in my area. So I've never had to worry about them like, you know, drawing on a painting or anything. In fact, the other day, my husband actually knocked something down and put a hole in one of my paintings. And I said, 14 years of children. (laughs) 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 And you're the first one. (laughs) Oh, he must have felt awful. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure. (laughs) It was an accident, but I just thought it was ironic. (laughs) Yeah, God. So were these paintings you were doing at the time, the watercolours, were they the really detailed sort of things you're doing now? Were they they took hours or? Uh, They were probably smaller. And, you know, in the beginning I was kind of doing a little bit of everything. Because I had done murals, I was painting some canvases with acrylics. And then I went back to watercolour and um, I started doing smaller ones. And there was actually a podcast back then called Artist Helping Artist. And... Um, she started that podcast about the same time that I started painting and I followed everything she said to do in that podcast because she was a marketing person and an artist. We're talking about Leslie, aren't we? Leslie Seda. Yes, Leslie Seda. Yes, it was Leslie Seda and Dreama Tolperi that started the podcast. It's no longer there, but I mean, the old shows are, but um, anyway, she started at that time and everything she said to do is what I did. So I did probably more smaller paintings, but I also, I kind of, it was kind of baby steps. I started small and then ventured a little bigger. And then I finally did like a full sheet, which is, you know, 22 by 30. I don't know centimeters. Sorry. (laughs) 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 But, um, so I did, but I've always been pretty detail oriented, even from the beginning. 
Yeah, I remember like you're just watching your art evolving uh, as you were obviously watching mine. And I, yes. I remember when the day that um, I got a new follower, because it used to be that you'd suddenly get a new follower on your blog. And I remember thinking, oh, Carrie, what? I was following my blog? <laughs> <laughs> I was amazed. Because <laughs> I was in awe, because it was you, you and Crystal Cook, obviously, yep. as well. I mean, you know, she was a wonderful artist. And um, I think you were actually interviewed together, weren't you, on the Artist Helping yes. Artists podcast back then? And, um, yeah, you were the the two main ones that I was just in awe of, you know. (laughs) That's really nice. I loved it because we used to, I don't know, I feel like we would exchange Christmas cards. and Yeah, (laughs) and it was funny because I remember I got um, a Christmas card from you and I remember showing my husband and saying, oh, wow, the the American Christmas cards, they literally put a newsletter in there. And I'd heard it before, but I'd obviously never received one. so it was amazing sort of receiving this kind of like almost story with this card. I've still got it. I've still got that. That's and, so funny. Uh, I, I keep all cards and things like that. And uh, I also remember getting a, a card from Crystal and mm-hmm. she she sent me the recipe for pumpkin pie. <laughs> I've still got that as well. <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, the next thing I wanted to ask you, because obviously you mentioned that, that um, your husband's in the military um, mm-hmm. and you moved around a lot and currently as we speak you're in Japan uh, but you've been all over the place haven't you and I mean that must have been really hard to I mean surely the time it must have taken for you to keep unpacking and packing and settling your kids into new schools how on earth did you manage to fit your art around that (laughs) that constant moving around It's always a challenge. And I re- I've painted, I remember finishing paintings in hotel rooms to try to get them to the client before we left the area. <laughs> and you kind of take the show on the road. And that's once again, when watercolor kind of comes in handy, because I bring, I was so nervous moving overseas with my paints, because I had just won a big contest. And I won like $10,000 in art supplies. And right before we moved to Japan, and I thought, what if our boat sinks and all my <laughs> So I had to develop a way to bring as many paints with me. So I like in watercolor, you can do pan paints, you know, dried paints. So I made my own pan. So I had every single color in my suitcase with me in these smaller pans. Um, but I could also then, you know, have them with me to paint with um, while we were in hotels and everything traveling across. I think the big thing is it it's hard, but it, it it's doable. And if you make it a priority, you can, you know, manage to figure it out. It just has to be a priority. So we've been lucky enough. Um, we've stayed in Japan now for seven years, which we never anticipated being here this long. So I haven't had to move in the last, you know, we normally would move every two or three years. So I've, we've skipped two moving cycles. So oh, wow. that's been a blessing um, as far as that goes. <laughs> are you planning to stay for, to, in Japan for much longer or are you planning to go back home to America at some point? Right now we should move in the summer of 2022. So we'll, we'll see what happens because we've, mm. Every, we were supposed to move every two years, and we ended up staying. So I don't know. <laughs> and that's the that, that's the whole joy of the military life. You have no idea where you're going or when. <laughs> so <laughs> it's kind of you have to be pretty flexible and fluid. Yeah. Um, so we should move in summer of 2020, 2022, but I have no idea where or for how long. <laughs> I was just going to ask what the art scene is like in Japan, where you are. It's been interesting because um, I had to – figure that out when I got here of course there's a language barrier that um the great thing is in the east uh they love wa- uh, works on paper and um watercolor calligraphy inks so when you go to museums here um you have a lot of works on paper so I love that because in the states and I think even in Europe it's mostly oils that are in museums so I love that they revere you know, works on paper. Um, but it, 
it's also a challenge because I try to join like the Japan Watercolor Society because I'm one that as soon as we move, I jump into whatever I can, whichever society there. And I don't hesitate to reach out to somebody and say, hey, I want to come meet you. So it was harder here. I went tried to do that in Japan and they were kind of like, well, you weren't born here. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it, took, it took me a bit. And I finally, there's a Japanese Institute of Watercolor. And finally this year they have accepted me as a member and I can now be part of their exhibitions. So it's taken me a lot longer here. Um, but, uh, but it, you know, it is what it is. And then, um, I, I've also had to figure out how to still stay active in the stateside societies. So it's, it's been a balancing act as far as that goes. So what draws you to the subjects that you paint now? Um, I think a lot about I think there's a lot that's influenced from living in Japan where I'm living um I've all of a sudden since we've been living here I'm painting a lot more with like the color vermilion you know that orangey red so um that color is all over Japan so I think that influences me a lot and so I've, I have a whole tea series that I started since I've lived here um, I also have a Japanese series that, of course, I probably wouldn't have painted if I hadn't moved to Japan. Um, so I think just things that I see around me, um, my tea series is kind of interesting. I have um, a painting called Abundance, where it's a lot of glass teapots and glass cups and plates that are stacked up, and there's lights all in there as well. And I didn't realize how much the aesthetic of Japan was influencing me until I painted that painting. It's kind of a crazy painting, but it, it won a big prize for the American Women Artist um, Contest. It won their grand prize last year. And I started, I, when I painted it, I didn't think, I thought, this is a crazy painting. But I realized in Japan, it's all, it's sensory overload here. Like when you go into Tokyo, which I live close to Tokyo, it's all sign, lit up signs and, lot, you know, it's beautiful, but it's a lot. Um, when you walk in a store, there's a lot. There's a, there's like literally an advertisement for every, <laughs> almost every product going at the same time on a little like iPad. So it's stimulus everywhere, sensory overload. And so that painting was kind of sensory overload. It had stacks of plates and glass and lights and it's Japan in a still life. And yeah, it's stunning because we've seen it and it's absolutely amazing. Oh, thank you. So yeah, yeah. so I think that's how I, you don't even realize your subconscious is mm. being influenced by what you're around, you know. So with so much inspiration all around you then, how do you narrow it down and think, right, this is what I'm going to paint next? Um, I think when I'm painting, normally <clears throat> one painting kind of stems to the next painting. Normally while mm. I'm painting that one, I'm, I'm already formulating the next painting in my head. And it could be something that's happened recently or a lot of times... I'll be doing a painting and I'll think, you know, in the next painting, I want to challenge myself by having a blurry background as opposed to, you know, like a solid dramatic black background. I'd like to have blurred, you know, blurred scene in that one. So I'm, I kind of operate that way. I'll, and I do like to paint in series. I have a light bulb series that I've painted a lot in that series. So I paint in series. And so normally there's something that while I'm painting that one, I think, oh, I sh you know, it's kind of like that that rabbit moment like oh you're, you go off in one another trajectory that would be cool let me try that and so I, I start to formulate my next kind of challenge for myself um so you don't you don't have a set number of paintings per series then you just get bored at a certain point and think right I need to do something else <laughs> yeah I jump around yeah. um in fact this year I got in to the net there's in the states there's national watercolor society with there's two or three large societies in the United States that when you, you, most watercolor artists are trying to get their signature status in. Mm. And this year I got in, I, I got into the um, exhibition with a ball jar painting. And so to get my signature status, you have to do a portfolio review. So you have to have four more paintings. 
So all of a sudden I had to do three or four more ball jar paintings. <laughs> so that, that made me do those. <laughs> so, so it's kind of like that kind of thing, like, you know, and then, so I, now I've done three or four ball jar paintings. So I'm going to move on to a light bulb or a teapot, you know, so I kind of jump around my series, but I've kind of stuck. I have four main series right now. I have my Japan series, which could easily evolve into a travel series, right? So a Japan series, which is more landscape, um, things like that, or some, or still life in still life. But like when you're traveling around and you see like a table set up in a restaurant that, that will become part of my Japan series. Cause it's not like something I set up myself. It's something I see when I'm out traveling. You did and a it, Viennese series, didn't you? what do you say? Didn't you do an Italian, like a Viennese series? I have. Cause we've, I've been to Venice a lot, several times yeah. now and we lived in Europe. Um, so yes, I have done Venice scenes as well and that'll be something I'll come back to because I've traveled there probably the most out of anywhere in Europe I've mm-hmm. gone to Venice so and then I have my light bulb series and I have a tea series and then I have a bottles and jar series so I kind of jump between all of those and I, I haven't really strayed from those four subjects and I, I I love still life and I don't mind doing, you know, like scenes like landscapes or urban scenes in uh, as well, but I'm not a portrait. I just, I just don't get excited about portraits. So I don't know if that'll ever be anything I get into, but never say never. So how do you go about setting up your still lives? Do you uh, set them there and then draw from life or do you photograph them? Yeah. So I set, I set up, I'll normally designate a, a day or two a month and I set up, um, my still life. So I'll have like a list of ideas that I'd like to kind of see if I can turn into something. And so when it's a really sunny day, I have to have sun, I will set up um, outside my still life. And then I take a gajillion and I do mean a gajillion photos from that setup. So I might have a bird's eye view and then, you know, like deep down in the setup and then, you know, all every angle of photograph of that setup and um, I also the ones that I've been doing with the lights those are done inside at at nighttime so that's a whole setup also that I'll do in my house and I'll leave that setup and I generally try to leave my setup set up for a few hours so that I can catch like if it's outside I want to catch the sun changing the shadows you know as the sun moves um, so that I can get different shadows during throughout the day. And if it's in my house, it's much more controllable. I can leave it up. And so I'll do photos with the lights. Um, like Literally, I have like garden lights and little fairy lights that I photograph with my glass. And that I can leave set up for a day or two. And I can catch daytime, nighttime, dusk, you know, <laughs> after, you know, all the different times. <laughs> so. so will you ever use more than one of those photos? Are you saying all these different angles you were taking? Or will it just be you'll pick one that you love? No, I definitely use more than one and I will, I'll pick, you know, a handful that I really like from the beginning, almost like doing a thumbnail sketch in your phone. When you do those small, you know, you see like the small little ones you can scroll through and quickly, or even on one screen in your photo gallery, you can kind of look through and figure out which ones are more appealing, you know, compositionally. And I'll start there and I'll grab that one and then I'll, um, do photo editing in Photoshop. And so I do all, I do a lot of planning and everything is really planned out before I start the painting. I, I have it all done. I have it all figured out in Photoshop, whether I'm merging images or changing things up. I do that in Photoshop. I have it saturated. I have it really ready to go before I start painting. And that's just my process and how I kind of operate that's one thing I wish I knew is how to use Photoshop because I don't. I once had um, uh, Elements 10 for dummies. <laughs> I, just, I barely got past the first paragraph. I thought, no, I'm not, I'm not going to get this. <laughs> but yeah, I always find some, a lot of the time I find that planning a painting and getting the right image and getting the right setup can take almost as long as the painting itself, mm-hmm. can't it? Yeah. Absolutely. And I think the iPhones now are so good. You can do a lot of photo editing in your iPhone and so sometimes I'll just do it my iPhone but I will normally and I still I save all those photos 
my husband doesn't like it because it takes up so much room on our computer. <laughs> I, save, <Yeah. laughs> I save all those photos and then I'll come back. I mean, I just went back, like some of those ball jar paintings I was talking about, those mm. photos I took probably 10 years ago and I still went back and um, edited from those photos from that long ago and I did more in the series. So, and Do you use your iPhone to take the photograph then? I do my iPhone or my iPad. Yep. Oh, I, wow. And I've used I have a big nice camera, but I get better results with my iPhone and my iPad. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. what I use. It, yeah, that's amazing because I was thinking, you know, some of the ones you've done where it's really dark and there's fairy lights and things. I mean, I had a nightmare trying to get a photograph of that. But, you know, I'm trying to use this um, camera because I think I should. But exactly then, <laughs> but like, it just goes to show you don't always need to do that hmm. yeah and the iPhones are cool they're really neat now because they have like a portrait mode and so you can blur the yeah. background you know mm. so there's a lot of neat things you can do yeah. with the iPhone and so it makes me excited for technology as it keeps like what else is going to happen you know yeah. what's going to happen next <laughs> yeah so as well as taking photos for your work do you ever go out and sketch uh, and if you do, do you use those in your work as well? I do sketch sometimes. We ha- I have a little sketching group. Some of them have moved away now, but um, that we would meet up and sketch. Um, I get a little frustrated with sketchbooks because I am such a controlled, like detailed person. I want to formulate those sketches all the way <laughs> to like <laughs> a finished product. And then I'm like, well, why am I not just doing this on a big sheet of paper? So I have this like love-hate relationship with sketching <laughs> because I know it's important, <laughs> but the other part of me that is like, I don't know if I'll ever change. That's just who I am. Wants to have a complete, perfect little package. <laughs> so I, I have issues. <laughs> Sounds like me. I used to be like that, didn't I, Tara? <laughs> I made you loosen up. You did, yeah. <laughs> We need to get you a chunky marker, Carrie. Oh, I, I had it when I was in school. I had all the charcoal and the big. I, trust me. I've, in fact, I used to be really a loose sketcher in college, and um, it's just not my personality. So I'm pretty <laughs> uptight. <laughs> so, so obviously, um, as we record this, I, I mean, over here we're just coming out of um, lockdown and. Um, I don't know what the situation is in Japan, but how has the pandemic affected your art and your art career? And what are things like at the moment? So in Japan, um, we have Reveille. I hope you don't, (laughs) if you hear the anthems, that's what that is. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Right now in Japan, we're in a state of emergency. We have been for a long time. Um, so it's going through June. We were always fairly low number wise in Japan. And then, um, with this new strain and everything, and they're pretty slow to get the vaccine here. So Mm -hmm. it's taking, um, it's, I feel like there's more cases now than there were early on. And we also were in lockdown before everybody else because it started here. You, you know what I mean? Like the, the cruise ship was here, it was three hours from here, that first cruise ship in Yokohama um outside of China where you know that but uh, so we've been in lockdown or some version of it since February something like that so we were earlier than the states I'm not sure in England I think it was earlier than England too and um you're talking about February this year La, uh, last year wasn't it last, 2020. Yeah. 2020 oh really yeah. Yeah. yeah so I went my friends came here in January we had a show in Tokyo in January of 2020, right? Yeah. And um, we went to Kyoto, and that's when it was all starting. And then we, were, we rode the Shinkansen, which is the bullet train. And I, and I had cans of Lysol with me and all of our Lysol pipes and the masks. And, and <sighs> we went to Kyoto. And so they were able to stay. They stayed till the end of January. And they, right before, they, they cut off all international travel um, right after they left. So we haven't had international travel or tourists for, uh, since then, we still do not have them. So it's really eerie to go into Tokyo right now because there's nobody downtown. <laughs> so it's really strange that they have the, there's still people, but not compared to what, you know, it's like crazy when you go visit some of these places and you're like, I cannot believe it's so empty because I've been here and there's so many people in Tokyo. So it's yeah. insane to see it so empty. But so we, that, that aside, 
um, my kids have been, because we live on a military base, they've been in face-to-face school this entire year. So we've been blessed that way. Our life was kind of normal. They had virtual school at the end of last school year, but this whole year they've been face-to-face. So that part of life has been fairly normal. But um, my art career actually has like flourished um, during this time because of all of the online classes. And so I started teaching for two different companies during this um, time, and I have been consistently teaching workshops for since for a while now. So that's been pretty amazing. So I have students from all over the world, and um, yeah, I get to get we teach. I teach nine hour generally nine hour workshops, or I just did a video based one that was a month long workshop where I did a larger painting, you know, like really detailed twenty hours of painting that I filmed. So did you, did you taught online before. I had not taught online before this, no. So this was this all started during this. So um, I was kind of living here. I would travel back to the states and I would teach in the summer pre-COVID. You know, I would go back in the summers and I would teach um, for societies during the summers. But other than that, I kind of you know wasn't geographically desirable for in-person workshops in the states. Uh, so. COVID has been, that's the silver lining for me of this whole thing is um, being able to teach as much as I am. Is that something you think you would have done um, had this not have happened? Do you think you would have, because I know it's quite scary, isn't it? The thought of teaching online. And I wonder if some people have just kind of been forced to do that. And then now they've done it. They're like, like, oh, actually, this is, this is not as scary as I thought. (laughs) I, <clears throat> I love teaching, so it is something I had thought about, and it was something, but honestly, the um, techno- like setting the whole thing up and figuring it all out was daunting to me, like the, mm. almost the technology side of it, you know, like, or even the handling of sign-ups and all that. So when I had these companies shifted gears, one of the companies I work for, they are actually like a travel um, paint, you know, like people would pay to go travel with them to paint. Um, for travel workshops. So clearly they couldn't do that during COVID. So they had to shift and start doing these online classes. So now you have companies that are geared only to do these online classes for the most part. So they take all of the hard stuff out of it. I don't have to deal with the signups and um, everybody not knowing how to get onto Zoom or if if they have technological problems, I don't have to do that part of it. They take care of it. I just have to, you know, I... I always give a drawing and I give a supply list and um, in watercolor you mask, you know, like for, so I don't use white on the paper. So I mask that out with um, liquid masking fluid or frisket. So I have a masking map that I send them to show them where to put, apply the masking. So they get these reference in the course, the reference image, they get these, these, you know, this resource material. And then we get together and paint live um, for three or four days at a time. And then, um, like I said, I just started doing some video classes where I'm recording it, and then we get together live just to kind of do feedback and um, critiques of their art. But I love it, and I think one great thing um, is that whether you like it or not, everyone knows how to do Zoom now. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's that's been good because you know you had to do Zoom either if you if you were virtually schooling or even going to the doctor. Everything was like a virtual appointment, so everyone knew how to do it, kind of. So it's really opened up the open things up. And I think the great thing is I don't think it's going to go anywhere in the art world because you don't have to travel and pay for a hotel. And all those extra expenses, you can, you know, hop on and learn from people, you know, artists of all different levels and people that, you know, maybe you always wanted to learn from, they now you can access them. And so I think there will always be some component of it, um, even after we can, we go back to normal life. What about that time difference? Because if you're in Japan, and you're teaching some people in the US, how does that work? I teach overnight. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so I'm on the night shift. So, so I typically oh. teach 1 a.m. to 4 a.m. or longer. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you caffeinated. I'm caffeinated and I'm a night owl. And the only, the other good thing is my nobody's going to bother me from 1 to 4 a.m. <laughs> They're all asleep. 
my family, I mean, so. You, you, you must be walking around with matchsticks in your eyes the next day. Because <laughs> the, the idea of staying up till 4am and then getting up for your kids in the morning, mind you, I suppose they're a bit older now, but I know that you used to paint, didn't you? Even when your kids were yeah. babies, you'd paint at night. And I always used to think, how, how do you function the next day when, when you've got these children running around, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I still take I take them to school every day. So you know, yeah. you get a couple hours of sleep, and then you hop up, you take kids to school, and then come home, and I catch an hour or two nap, and then you know, I, and then uh, <laughs> go back and pick them up, and and then start it all over again that night. So, God. yeah, it's Done. interesting. Uh, luckily, yeah. luckily, I'm a night owl, and I don't. I, I've never been one that requires like ten hours of sleep or anything. So. <laughs> I'll probably pay for it later on in life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish I was like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, me and Sandra always, we swap notes like, you know, we went to bed at Harper's Date last night. <laughs> <laughs> what time did you go? <laughs> so i i've seen a couple of people who've actually they've been showing your work not showing your work showing their work that they've done from your workshops and i have to say it looks absolutely amazing what your students are doing so have you got any tips for someone who's a beginner and is just learning watercolor i think you should jump in and take a workshop i have so many students that are new or new to watercolor and they handle it like a champ and sometimes I feel like the sometimes it's better that you know less does that make sense <laughs> because yeah. you, you come in not knowing and it's good because you now can formulate and learn for yourself some people are like stagnated because they know so much stuff or they, they think they know so many rules that they almost hinder themselves more than the new person that doesn't know all the rules yet um so, or the quote rules, you know, so, um, so I have found that everyone across the board has done really well. I mean, and they blow me away. My, my students blow me away. And that's one thing I can say about teaching these zoom classes. They have a front row seat watching me paint and they're painting along as I paint. And that is different than when you do an in-person workshop, because an in-person workshop, they would come and they normally like watch you paint, you know, around your desk or in the mirror above. And they sit there and they watch for a while and then they go back to their desk and they try to paint. And they're like, wait a minute, what was what? That looked really easy. But what color was that? And how did what was, you know, so with with Zoom, they have me on the screen right in front of them and they're painting as I'm doing it. So I'll paint and then they have a turn to paint. And they can ask questions. What color is that? You know, right in the moment. So I think the results have been even better than some of my in-person, you know, workshops just because of the format. And so I even think I'm going to implement when I go back, you know, when I do do have in-person classes, I know I'm going to do it because I've had a private student here and I literally set Zoom up. And and even though she's sitting there watching me, she also has it on her screen right in front of her. Um, so that she has both. That's, that's such good. a good. That's a good point. What you that you've raised really because I I always assumed that an online workshop couldn't possibly be as good, but it sounds like there's a lot more that's um, good about it than in some respects than an actual face to face one, because like you say, you're you're looking at it as you're doing it you're painting along and you don't get that with a workshop I've been to workshops and exactly what you've just said you kind of think oh no what what did she do there and (laughs) so yeah that's that's a really good point because I I imagine a lot of people have been put off the online workshops because they worry about that it won't be the same but actually it sounds like it's it's better and and um, also at the end of the day you get a recording at least the way mine you get a recording at the end of the day of everything so you can go back and rewind and stop and watch it again um which also i never have had in, in my in-person no. classes no i was gonna ask about materials for watercolors how much difference does it make to what you're painting you know the quality and the type of materials that you've got um i always think you need to have professional paints and good paper um because otherwise you're going to spend a lot of time trying to compensate or compensate for inferior supplies I'll finish my thought process but also I think if you have student grade materials and paper then you 
may, you know, a new student might get frustrated because they think they, they can't do it. It doesn't look right. It doesn't look like yours. And it's just because the product they're using is inferior. So don't like give yourself already like an obstacle, like a, you know, that you have to jump over. So I understand that professional paints cost a little bit more, but there's ways you can get around it. I try to keep my supply list fairly minimal because I, I don't want people having to buy, you know, a ton of paint. I understand how expensive paint can be, but um, there's also ways around it. A lot of companies have dot cards for watercolor, so you can order a dot card and you typically will have enough paint in that little dot to finish a painting. Um, right. So there's ways around it, but you just have to bite the bullet and invest in some good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> So outside of your teaching, are you ever guilty of procrastination with your own work? And and if you are, how do you get, you know, how do you make yourself work even when you don't feel like it? Or is that never a problem for you? Oh, no, I'm a procrastinator. Are and you? <laughs> it's I, always nice to hear someone else say it. <laughs> when I was in college, my professor said, if you're a perfectionist, you're a procrastinator. Ah. And um, I find that to be the case because I will never be finished <laughs> until the last minute. <laughs> and I'm the same way with entering contests because what if I paint the next masterpiece the day before the contest? I <laughs> I enter at like 11.59 when it's, you know, due at midnight of that day. So, um, no, I think that I work under pressure. I work really well with deadlines and I quite often put myself in a position where I have <laughs> to cram. So that was one of my goals. This is, I find this so laughable. One of my goals, my new year's resolutions was not to pull all nighters to finish paintings, um, which I'm very guilty of pulling all nighters to finish paintings for a deadline. And I think that's so funny because then all of a sudden we had COVID and I started teaching all night long. And I thought, I don't, <laughs> I think, I think the higher power up there wants me to work overnight. Yeah, sounds like it. <laughs> so, so you procrastinate. You're, it's like the opposite thing for you. You procrastinate in finishing a painting, but do you ever procrastinate in starting? Because that's usually the problem for people, isn't it? I, I think, um, I generally, I, I don't know why it is, and I know there's a lot of books on this, but I think our we, we fight ourselves getting into the creative process. Um, mm. So starting can be a problem because you kind of like will do anything else before you start painting. Oh, wait a minute. I have another load of laundry. I have, you know, like all these things will be in your way before you can start a painting. So I really try to paint every single day, and that's one thing that's a commitment that I try to make for myself that I will paint at least an hour or two a day, if not more. And that helps. Sometimes though, I'm just not in the mood. And I have learned that because I am a night owl, I work better at night. So I can try to force myself to start painting at eight in the morning, but it's going to be like pointless because my creativity doesn't kick into like four in the afternoon. So I have try I have learned to shift my thought process on how I do everything. So why fight myself all day long when I can just take care of like the business side during the day, the emails, the mailing of the things, getting my reference photos, you know, taking photos, all that like administrative type stuff, even taking still life photos for an upcoming painting that I can do during the day. So all of those things, get those done during the day and then paint at night and you know that I just have it's counterintuitive to what <laughs> everyone in the world thinks you should be you know like working nine to five and then you know off in the evening but it just doesn't work for me so I really had to learn about myself and just have to kind of embrace it so I think that's something I would advise people figure out how you work the best and don't fight it work you know work that way um, and you'll be more productive starting a painting, finishing a painting, all of it, if you're not already fighting yourself because you're not, you know, doing your natural schedule. And it's, is, your, is your husband a night owl as well? No. no. <laughs> He's more like you. He's in bed half past eight. <laughs> <laughs> so that is a little bit of a struggle. But I think sometimes it works too because I don't, I'm working when people are sleeping. So it's, 
it's not taking up quality time, <laughs> you know, with the family because they're, they, sh- they should be asleep anyway. <laughs> so. so do you ever get that you're working on a painting and something's just not working? Uh, if you do, how do you get over that? Because I know watercolor is a nightmare to try and you can't paint over it like you would oils or acrylics. Yeah, so I adapted how I paint. I paint a little different. Um, I paint what they say like cellularly or a little. I paint like an inch at a time and I kind of almost like a printer. I paint, I start on the right side of the page and I kind of finish to completion a whole area before I move on. And um, it does a few things for me. Um, I establish my values immediately. And sometimes in watercolor, and I, I don't know, you'll have to tell me in oils because it's a little different, but in watercolor, um, some people will put like a whole wash over the entire page and then they come back and do the net, you know, they build up in layers over the entire page, but you get to this middle stage of the art and it's kind of, I call it like the adolescent stage of a painting where <laughs> yeah that's mine I call it skanky teenage <laughs> yeah <stage>. exactly it's <laughs> exactly yeah. what it is and I think yeah. it's easy to abandon your work when it's yeah. in that stage so I kind of started this where I finish like a section at a time so I know if that painting is working from the beginning before I've moved on to the next section or the next section and um also you know people also have trouble with values a lot of times getting them dark enough and that gets that established immediately like pow this is how this is how dark it's going to be so everything else has got to raise up to this level and so I don't have to fight um that part of it as often just because of the way that I paint don't you find that when you're going if you're doing it inch by inch that there's a kind of join (laughs) Or, or do you just sort of work around an area that and, until you get to a place where there would be right. a change in? Yes, and into- a lot of times in the composition stage, um, I'll try to make sure I have, like in the background, something going on where you have like a natural stopping place. Yeah. Um, or So I will think about that when I'm setting up a composition. Other times, you know, there may be a solid back, black background, let's say. Well, I just kind of know how to feather that in so that at the end I might go back and do a whole entire you know like unifying wash where it makes it Mm. kind of seamless but I will still have that dark established as I go across the page. We touched on this very slightly earlier um you received your national watercolor signature status quite recently didn't you? Yes I did. Absolutely amazing congratulations by the way. Um what does that mean to you? And for anyone who doesn't know, what does that mean, period? Okay. <laughs> what does having the, the watercolour signature status mean? So well? I was trying to think, in England, I think they have a Royal Institute of Painters or something. I'm trying to remember because I've done a show. Um, but I don't know if that's similar or not. But in the United States, they have the American Watercolour Society, the National Watercolour Society, and the Transparent Watercolour Society. And I would say those are the three big societies and then you have like state societies or other watercolor usa that um so you have other societies that are um kind of you know like the next level so the those are your big ones and it takes some people 20 years to get a signature status in those societies um of actively trying So what it means for me, because I'm a goal-oriented person, that was just kind of like a goal of mine. You know, I wanted to get that signature status. Um, And what it means to me is that I am painting at the best level each time because I'm trying to produce work that would, you know, warrant a a signature status. So it, it makes me elevate my work. Um, when I'm painting um, paintings, and so I have received my American Watercolor Status and uh, American Watercolor Society um, signature status in 2017, and then I just last month got my signature status in the National Watercolor Society. So those were the two big ones, and of course I have several in state societies. But um, you can now sign your name and put those letters behind your name. It means something in the field of watercolor because it means you're kind of a master level. Um, And it also means something as far as societies wanting to hire you to teach workshops or judge shows. 
because you know you have those letters behind your name and it and it's a, a pretty arduous process to get those signature status um you're judged by masters in your field and um they've deemed you you know worthy of those letters so it's 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 interesting. It's not for everybody. I understand people that aren't interested in that at all. But for me, it just makes me elevate my work on a daily basis um, so that I'm producing, good, you know, really good works um, at the end of the day. Just curious, you're talking about your process, going back to that. How does that fit with the, these um, you know, watercolour bodies? Do, do they work like that, the majority of them? Or do they, does it not matter how you work as long as you get results? Uh, I'm sure every artist is different. I, um, the way I paint, I don't use a palette. <laughs> That's different. That throws my students. Um, I mix on the paper. Uh, right. And um, so there's some things that I do that are a little different that kind of throw some of my students when they're in the classes. Um, but I think I think your process is as individual as each artist, right? So there's takeaways that you've learned from other people and then things that you kind of gradually evolve into yourself. So I would say it's different with each. I've taken a handful of watercolor workshops and everyone's process is different in each of those classes. And I always feel like if I take away one or two tips that I use on a daily basis, that that's a really successful workshop, you know, and it could be something simple, like even making your own pan paint, you know, or, you know, that kind of thing. And, um, so I, I don't know if I answered your question, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I just wondered if like, you know, the, like the national watercolor signature status, I didn't know if they expected you to paint a certain way or they don't mind as long as you get the results that, you know, you get really. Right. I think the latter it's, yeah. um, and everyone's got a different style. You know, I'm pretty realist still life and you know the judges that we have like Dean Mitchell and John Salmon and they're totally um different uh styles than I am so it's just as individual as the artist and no I think I think sometimes having a process that is unique to you is maybe even better than trying to emulate what you think you should have to do um that's one way I think I was lucky that I kind of taught myself I kind of made it my own rules um and I I, I don't regret that (laughs) yeah have you ever actually judged a show yet yes I have I've done a few is that hard it must be quite difficult to sort of be um in a position to judge someone else's work do you do you like that I love it I loved I love judging people no <laughs> no, I have it's so I think it's really fun. I love seeing like all the work. Um it is hard. I will say the hardest thing for me is like picking let's say you get a thousand paintings and you have to choose a hundred of them to for a show. <laughs> to me that's hard, you know, having to dwindle it down. Um but I now art is subjective, so each you know, if someone else judged the show there would be a whole different set of winner winner you know awards but um for me it's kind of like immediately I know that I'm drawn to this piece or that piece it's like very immediate and then I just have to decide which award they're going to get and um for what reason what are your future plans for your art well I'm going to continue teaching I think I'm kind of building up a month monthly or yearly kind of program Um, So that's what I'm working on right now um, so that my students can kind of go to the next level. Um, And then I'll also still do, you know, workshops that are three or four days. But that's a that's something I'm working on right now. Um, And then I'd like to do a book someday. I'm right now I'm part of a collaboration of 10 people that are going to be in a book. But I'd like to have my own book someday. That's on my list of things that I'd like to do. Um, but other than that, I don't know. Cause there's a lot of the, I would have never guessed who would have ever guessed we would have had a pandemic and who would, how would I have ever guessed what would have come out of that for me? So uh, there's a lot of things I can't predict, but there are things that I, you know, have goals for myself, um, like the teaching wise. And I would still like to 
earn, you know, now, now that I've got signature, now I'd like to like win some awards and some of those, you know, <laughs> some big yeah. awards. So, yeah. Well, you've won lots of awards in the past. I know that much. <laughs> <laughs> so where can our listeners find out about you a bit more about you and where can they find your um your work online sure my website is carrie waller c-a-r-r-i-e waller w-a-l-l-e-r fineart.com and then on instagram i'm at carrie waller art um and then i'm on facebook carrie waller fine art so you can find me in all those places but and what about what about your workshops? Are they listed on your website as well? Yes, they're on my website, and I also link them in my bio on Instagram and advertise on Facebook too for my workshops. So they're in all the locations. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much. So lovely to talk to you, and for Sandra, I think she, you haven't spoken for how how many years? Well, we have years. We've never actually had the chance to speak um, in person, have we? As in, I right. say in person, but right. you know, we've spoken online, um, and, but never actually in person. So it's been a real treat for me. A real treat. I loved Thank it you too. So and your podcast, I love your podcast. It's so charming. <laughs> I've been, I've been listening when I go walking in the mornings and I love it. So you guys are, you're great. <laughs> I don't oh, think we've you. called charming before, have we? <laughs> No, <laughs> that's <new>. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no, it really, really has been a, a, a perfect way to to start my day and end yours, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right then, Carrie. Well, thank you again, and hopefully we will speak again sometime. It sounds great. Yes, thank you very much. Okay. All right then, take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode, and if you did, perhaps you'd like to share it and leave a review for us on iTunes. 